Good morning, dear Sangha, dear friends. Today is the 26th of this September, 2013, and we are on our third day of the retreat, healing oneself, healing the world. Yesterday, I, I said that uh, when I was a young monk, I believed that the Buddha did not uh, suffer which is not true. The Buddha did suffer, does suffer, because he has a body, he has feelings, perceptions, like all of us. And sometimes he had, he had, he had a headache, sometimes he, uh, he suffer from rheumatism, Ananda, did massage, massage for him. And he, if he happened to eat something not well cooked, and then he can have uh, intestine problems. So he did suffer physically. And when uh, he saw the suffering of his uh, disciples, um, when one of his uh, beloved disciples died, he suffered. How, how can you not suffer when uh, a dear disciple of yours uh, just died? The Buddha is not a, a stone, a rock. He was a human being. But because uh, the Buddha had a lot of uh, insight, wisdom and compassion. That is why he suffered much, much less. He knew how to suffer. And we have learned uh, yesterday that if you know how to suffer, you suffer much less. This is a very important thing to learn. And you can go further, you can make good use of suffering in order to generate the energy of understanding and compassion that can heal, that can make people happy. The other belief that I had when I was a young monk is that uh, it's not a, a belief but a question. Why the Buddha kept practicing even he had already become a Buddha? It's easy to uh, to find uh, to find answer, but because you you have believed in something, you you want to to keep that belief. Happiness is uh, impermanent, like uh, everything else. And uh, in order to, for happiness to last, you have to learn how to, how to, uh, how to feed your happiness. Because nothing can survive without food. So your happiness uh, can die if you don't know how to nourish it. Suppose you have uh, a flower, very beautiful flower, and if you don't put it in uh, the water and uh, 
and the flower will die in a few hours. So feeding happiness is important. So the Buddha had uh, qualities like happiness and joy and uh, compassion and so on. And he had to nourish them. And therefore he had to continue to practice uh, sitting meditation, working meditation, breathing mindfully and so on. So it's so easy. Why do you have to practice when you have already become a Buddha? We have, we have talked about the, the goodness of suffering. And when we look deeply into suffering, we can see that uh, suffering is useful. It can help us to understand and to love. And uh, we have to learn how to, how to make good use of suffering. And there is an art, the art of suffering. You have to learn that art. Because we know that uh, if uh, one knows how to suffer, one will suffer much less. First of all, we should try not to allow the second arrow to come and strike us. This is a teaching of the Buddha. If some, someone is... Uh, Hit by an arrow, there is pain in the body. But if a second arrow comes and strikes exactly at the same spot, and then the pain will not only double, become maybe ten times more intensive. So when we have some pain in our body, in our mind, if we allow anger and fear, and imagination to operate, our pain will multiply by ten times or more. And that is the first thing we learn in the art of suffering. We should not uh, magnify our pain by our imagination, our fear, our anger, our despair. That is the second arrow that we should try to avoid. We have to recognize the pain as it is and not exaggerate. And if uh, we need, we can uh, ask a friend to help us. We can ask a doctor, a psychotherapist to help us to recognize the pain as it is and not to exaggerate. Not to, uh, not to produce uh, fear, anger, uh, despair. And so that is the first thing you have to learn. Uh, the second thing to learn is that uh, we should go home to our pain, our suffering, in order to recognize it and embrace it. And we know that um, the energy of mindfulness can help us uh, embrace tenderly our pain. And uh, we can get a relief uh, a few minutes after after that.
our consciousness uh, has uh, at least two layers, and the uh, lower layer is, is called a store consciousness. And up here we have a mind consciousness. And down here we have uh, we have many uh, seats. We have the list of uh, mental formations here. A mental formation is a zone of energy that uh, manifests on the level of the mind, like anger. Anger is a mental formation. Mental formation. Tamhan. Chitta Samskara. And before manifested, before being manifest here as a mental formation, anger was there, was here, in the bottom of our star consciousness. Star consciousness is like uh, the soil, the garden, uh, in which many seeds are kept, are stored. Chungte is the Chinese translation of the, the, of the word Bija. Bija is the Sanskrit word. Bija is the seed. So every one of us has a seat of anger down here. And uh, when someone come and water and touch the seat of anger, it manifests up here as a mental formation. And when anger is up here, the landscape of the mind is not beautiful anymore. It's not peaceful anymore. And uh, the practitioner knows how to handle the mental formation fear the mental formation anger when she manifests. Usually, uh, she invites uh, another mental formation called uh, mindfulness to come up to take care. Because all of us have uh, the seed of mindfulness in us. That is the baby Buddha in each person. Because mindfulness carries within herself the energy of concentration and insight. We have mindfulness, concentration, insight, and so on. The wholesome seeds. So when the practitioner noticed that anger has come up, she immediately practice mindful breathing, mindful walking, in order to generate the energy of mindfulness. 
And mindfulness is uh, manifested here as uh, another zone of energy, the energy of mindfulness. Anger is uh, energy number one. Mindfulness is uh, energy number two. So mindfulness is recognizing anger. It is with mindfulness that you recognize anger. Breathing in, I know anger is in me. Breathing out, I smile to my anger. That is a recognition of anger. And that is the first thing mindfulness could do. And the second thing she does is to embrace tenderly. One energy embracing another energy. Mindfulness is not there to combat, to suppress, but to take care. Uh, the act of meditation is, an, is a, a non-violent act. Meditating the, meditation does not mean you transform yourself into a battlefield and a good fighting the evil. No. Mindfulness is like a big brother taking care of this younger brother with all the tenderness, a mother holding her child, completely non-violent. So no fighting, no struggling, no uh, suppressing, just recognizing and embracing. Hello, my dear anger, I know you are there. I will take good care of you. That's what uh, we do. <clears throat> and usually after having whole anger for a few minutes, anger will lose some of its strength. In the light of mindfulness, anger will go through some transformation and will lose some of its strength. Mindfulness is like an environment, a medium where you give anger a, a chance to, to be. You can say that uh, um, mindfulness is kind of bath. And you give anger a mindfulness bath. It's very pleasant. <laughs> and after having taken that bath of mindfulness, anger will lose some of its strength and go back to the original place down here. That's one of the ways. One of the ways. And the practice of mindful breathing, mindful walking is essential because it provides us with enough mindfulness in order to take care of anger. It's a beautiful thing to see. A person knows how to handle 
how know how to take care of his or her anger. The second way is uh, to invite a seat of the opposite nature to come up. Because if you have a seat of anger, you have also a seat of compassion. Every one of us has a seat of compassion. And if you practice mindfulness of compassion every day, the seat of compassion in you will become strong. And you need only to touch it lightly and it will come up as a powerful zone of energy. And naturally when compassion come come here, come up here, anger naturally goes down. You don't have to fight. Because compassion has the power to neutralize anger. And every one of us has a seat of compassion. And if we practice uh, mindfulness of compassion every day, and then uh, we have enough of that energy in order to uh, to help uh, inviting anger to come back to, to its original place. Inviting and not suppressing. In this list of uh, mental formation, you will notice that the first five is uh, are called um, universal, universal mental formations. The five universal, and the name is contact, attention feeling, perception, and volition. These are called universal because they are there at any time and everywhere. These are five mental formations. They manifest always, at any time, at any place. First, you have a contact. Between uh, the sense organ and its object. Or you have uh, attention. you direct your attention to an object. And then you have contact. Or you have contact first, and because of that contact, you direct your attention to that object. It depends on the circumstance. 
This is a soup. This is that. There are two kinds of attention, and practitioners uh, know how to direct their attention to the objects that are conducive to concentration and insight. And that attention is called appropriate attention. Appropriate attention. Uniso Manaskara. Suppose uh, there is the talking going on, and there is the sound of the bell, and the practitioner knows that uh, the sound of the bell leads you to more concentration and insight. So you should select the object of your attention. It's called a uniso manaskara, appropriate attention. When you go to the internet, you have to practice uh, appropriate attention. Otherwise, you'll be led to zones that are not conducive to to compassion and uh, insight. And that kind of attention is called uh, inappropriate. Inappropriate. Appropriate attention. It's called Ioniso Manaskara. Manaskara is attention. Ioniso is appropriate. Ioniso is inappropriate. So, whether attention begins first or contact begins first, it will lead to a mental formation called uh, feeling. Vedana. That feeling may be pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And that feeling may, 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 may lead to a perception. And this perception might be correct perception of wrong perception. When someone uh, 
say something, uh, does something that gives you a painful feeling, you may have uh, the perception that did that person try to make you suffer, and that is a perception. She wants me to suffer. But maybe the truth is not like that. Maybe that person uh, uh, is not uh, very mindful. Uh, she did not sleep well during the night. So uh, some uh, action or some word of her gave you the impression that she is not kind to you. So you have a perception she is not kind. And when you have a perception, the perception leads you to to evolution, to a resolution, to to a decision to do or to say something in order to respond to the situation. If you think that she is uh, uh, mean, she is uh, cruel, and then you want to punish her by saying something more, a little bit more cruel, because you think that by doing so you suffer less, then you can you can punish someone, you will suffer less. It's not intelligent, but most of us do like that. Evolution. You are decided to take action. Evolution. And a feeling can be the cause of uh, a perception, or a perception can be the cause of a feeling. When you perceive uh, something, you feel you have a painful feeling, or you have a pleasant feeling. It depends. When the perception is correct, uh, you suffer much less. Because wrong perceptions always give rise to to suffering. And these are five uh, universal. They are always there, operate at any time, at any moment of the day. And each of us has in our brain uh, neural pathways that are already stressed. And we react automatically because these uh, neural pathways uh, we used to travel every day and several times. When you have uh, a painful feeling, a feeling that is not uh, pleasant, you tend to react with anger and you suffer. And that is why we need the five uh, particular. We have the five um, universals, but the next uh, set of five is the five uh, particular. And the five particular is um, intention, 
युग मे बी द इंटेंशन टू डू बेटर नॉट टू फॉलो द ओल्ड वे द पैटर्न्स ऑफ बिहेवियर ऑफ येस्टरडे दैट ऑलवेज लीड टू सफरिंग एंड देन द determination you are determined to do to do it uh, differently you don't want to follow the old patterns you want to take up a better uh, a better path that will not lead to anger and suffering that will instead that can lead to understanding and compassion and then we have uh, mindfulness concentration and insight so these are five uh, particular and practitioners they know how to bring mindfulness in order to shine on their contact on their attention on their feelings on their perceptions wherever there is mindfulness there is a concentration and uh, there will be insight and these three mental formations are very wholesome they are the energy of the buddha in us a buddha is a human being inhabited by the energy of mindfulness concentration and insight and that is why uh, contact attention feeling and perceptions are always seen in the light of mindfulness and insight and that is why that feeling does not lead to wrong perception instead it will lead to a to a right view to insight and um, and that inside that per- right perception in uh, in uh, instead of uh, leading you to anger it will it will lead you to compassion and with the compassion the the desire to act is no longer the same instead of uh, trying to punish him uh, you try to make him suffer less that is the intervention of uh, the whole some mental formations into uh, into the course of uh, the five uh, uh, universal mental formations 
and with some training, always bringing mindfulness, concentration in inside to shine on your feelings and your perceptions and then you open up new neural pathways that lead to compassion and joy and not to anger and fear and violence anymore. And uh, neuroscientists have told us that our brain is, uh, has the, the nature of plasticity. It can change if we know how to operate our mind in such a way, and then we can change the structure of our, of our brain. We can open up new neural pathways that can lead to compassion and joy rather than to sorrow, fear, and anger. And with a few days of practice, you can already uh, trace new pathways in your brain. And if we continue, uh, these pathways will become, uh, will be traveled several times a day, and it will become easy to, uh, to, uh, to treat, to tread. So mindfulness, concentration, and insight shine light on your attention, so that you will abandon inappropriate attention and follow the path of uh, appropriate attention. Uh, avoid the kind of contact that lead to, uh, uh, to craving. Uh, shine the light on the feeling so that you know uh, the real cause of the feeling. and uh, lead you, that will lead you to a correct perception of reality. And a correct perception of reality will not lead, will not lead you to anger uh, or despair. Instead, it will lead you to understanding and compassion and joy. So this is a, a, a matter of uh, training, a matter of practice. When we have a feeling, Practice mindfulness of feeling. Embrace your feeling. Look deeply into your feeling. And that is the object of uh, the exercises uh, concerning the feeling for exercise. The first exercise is uh, to focus the attention on a, a pleasant feeling, to generate a pleasant feeling. Mm the feeling of joy. The second is uh, to focus uh, your attention on a feeling of happiness, to see whether that is true happiness or not true happiness. And to generate a feeling of true happiness. And the third exercise is uh, to, to become aware, to shine light on the painful feeling. And the fourth is uh, to embrace the painful feeling so that you can obtain a relief. So mindfulness, concentration, and insight help us to handle a feeling and to shine on our perception in order to correct the perception uh, 
if that is a wrong perception. So there must be intervention constant permanent intervention of mindfulness, concentration and insight into the universals so that we will not be led to suffering and confusion. <coughs> when I was a novice uh, studying in the Buddhist Institute, he had to memorize all these mental formations. Uh, so that when one uh, manifests, when one manifests, he had to to be able to recognize and call it by its true name. And that is the object of uh, the nine exercise of mindful breathing. We have already uh, learned the, the first eight, the the, the first set. The first uh, set of four uh, are to help us to handle our body. The next uh, set of four help us to handle our feelings and emotions. And when we come to uh, the domain of the mind or the mental formations, uh, the ninth exercise of mindful breathing is to become aware of mind. Mind here is mental formation. Mental formations are the substance of the mind. Mind is a river and mental formations are drops of water succeeding each other. Always changing, always flowing. So to meditate means to sit on the bank of that river of uh, mind, mental formations, and observe and recognize these, uh, these mental formations. Many dozens of them. And the tenth exercise, the tenth exercise, is to, to make uh, the landscape of mind consciousness uh, beautiful, to gladden, to make it glad, gladden the mind, gladdening the mind. We know that uh, mind consciousness is like a, a living room. And we want to, our living room to be beautiful, neat, pleasant. And we don't want uh, the, we don't want the presence of uh, unwholesome mental formations, like anger, fear, jealousy, despair. They could make the landscape of our mind consciousness uh, not beautiful, not pleasant. So this is. Uh, the tenth exercise of mindful breathing. It means that you have to select. You have to give uh, the good seeds down here a chance to manifest. And you try to prevent the bad seeds, the negative seeds, to always uh, come up.
And this is uh, the teaching of the Buddha uh, concerning uh, uh, two uh, right uh, diligence, right diligence. This is one of the eight elements of the Noble Eightfold Path, the path of happiness, right diligence. And it is about how to handle the seeds down here. And the first, uh, the first aspect of the practice is not to give uh, the unwholesome seed down here shame to manifest. If they have a chance to manifest, and then they can they can grow stronger at the base. Suppose anger come up and stay for 24 hours, that's too long. <laughs> and down here, the seed has 24 hours to grow. And that is why it would be very helpful if you help, you can help anger to go, to go back as soon as possible. So the first aspect of the practice is not to give uh, seeds like anger and to manifest. And the second um, aspect of the practice if, is that if it, ha it has already manifest, try to help it to go home to its original place as soon as possible. And we have to sign a peace treaty with our uh, partner about this practice. We say, darling, you know that I have uh, negative seeds in me like anger, jealousy, and if uh, you water these seeds, I will suffer, and if I suffer, you will suffer too. <laughs> so, so if you really care for me, please, uh, please help. Do not, uh, do not water the negative seed in me, and I make the same uh, kind. Of. Darling, I, I vow that I will not water the negative seed in me by myself, and I will not water the negative seed in you. And you have to make the same kind of commitment not to water the negative seed in you and in me. So that is the first, uh, first thing we agree. Because uh, sometimes the seed of anger, violence, craving are watered by, by ourselves. When we watch uh, a film, when we read uh, a novel, a magazine, there may be a lot of um, toxins, poisons in these uh, items of consumption. And when we consume like that, we water the negative seeds in us. That's not good for us, and that is not good for our partner. I take care of myself, not just for myself. For you also, darling. So you will do the same. You take care of yourself, 
not only for the sake of yourself, but for the for my sake at the same time. So you have to sign that treaty of peace and happiness. And then the second aspect of practice is that it if it happens that is a negative seed has has been watered by accident and has manifested up up there as a mental formation, and then we should do something quickly in order to to help it go back. Give it a mindfulness bath. Uh, invite uh, the opposite uh, seat in our store consciousness to come up in order to help the other mental formation to go home. And these are things recommended by the Buddha. Part of the art of uh, suffering. If you know how to suffer, you suffer much less. We have good things in us. It's like uh, you have uh, good music, good CD, and it, if it happened that the CD you are listening are not pleasant, is not pleasant, why do we leave it like that? We can push a button to stop the CD and we replace it by another CD. And this is uh, the practice of changing CD. It does not take time. And this is recommended by the Buddha. You have a good things in you. And uh, you can do it for yourself. And if the other person is under the influence of a negative mental formation, you have to come for her rescue. Do not let her under... Uh, the influence, uh, the domination of that uh, mental formation, help her to get out. Because in her there are many good things, and you can help her to change the city. She has also many, uh, many uh, uh, wholesome mental formations in her. The third aspect of the practice is. Uh, the good things in us, the good seeds in us, we should give them a chance to manifest often. When we come to this retreat, we give chance to many good seeds in us. Because when we come to the retreat, what we see, what we listen, have the power to water the best of the seeds in us. The seat of understanding, the seat of compassion, and so on. So, uh, we should try to find ways in order for the good seat in us to have plenty of sand to be watered. And we should know how to water the good seeds in the other person. And the other person should also know how to do it for herself and for us. So we have to sign the treaty. Darling, if you love me, you care for me, you will water the seed of joy, happiness, uh, compassion in me. If I am happy, you'll be happy also. It's so simple. There's a couple from Bogdo. 
who came to Plum Village to listen, uh, to celebrate the uh, Vesak, the birth of the Buddha. That day, um, I offer a Dhamma talk on, uh, uh, on the practice of uh, selective uh, watering. You, uh, you water only the good seeds in the other person, you refrain from watering the negative seeds. And uh, during the Dharma talk, I saw the lady sitting in the, in the hall and she cried from the beginning to the end of the Dharma talk. So after the Dharma talk, I went to her husband and said, it seems that your, your flower needs some uh, watering. <laughs> I did not have to, uh, to say much because I know that he knows the practice. Even if we know the practice, you know the practice, you need some brother and sister in the practice to remind you. You need a teacher to remind you to practice. So after lunch, he was driving uh, back to Bogdor, and during the time of uh, driving, one hour and ten minutes, he practiced selective watering. He watered the good seeds in her, her talents, her virtues. It did not take much time. And when they arrived uh, home, children, their children were very surprised. She bloomed like a flower. So the practice of uh, selective watering can be very effective and very quickly. You try and you see. You can make a person happy right away by watering the seed of happiness, the seed of talent in him or in her. And the fourth aspect of uh, the practice of right religions is uh, once a good uh, seed has manifest up here, try to keep it as long as you, you can. Because the longer the mental formation remain here, uh, the bigger the seed will grow down here. And that is the practice of the transformation of the base. You entertain happiness up here. You keep happiness uh, lasting. And down here, the seed of happiness continues to grow. And uh, that is why uh, in uh, Plum Village we have a text called um, uh, Peace Treaty, Happiness Treaty, and many couples uh, come and uh, sign the treaty in the presence of the whole Sangha. Uh, it may be uh, signed by father and son, uh, mother and daughter, uh, partner and partner. And if they continue to practice uh, right religions, they can assure uh, harmony and happiness.
And uh, this is one of the eight elements of the Noble Eightfold Path, the path of, of uh, happiness. Yeah, in the realm of uh, the mental formations, we are capable of uh, recognizing each uh, mental formation. We are capable of handling a painful mental formation. And we learn how to make the landscape of the mind beautiful in order to facilitate the transformation at the base. Uh, Tomorrow, or after tomorrow, we shall continue with uh, the elephant and uh, the twelfth. Uh, concentrating the mind. And liberating the mind. We know that uh, the seventh and the eighth help us to take care of the pain, the painful feeling, the painful emotion to bring a relief. But uh, if we know how to practice the nine, the ten, the eleven, and the twelve, we can completely um, transform the pain, the sorrow into something more positive, namely understanding and compassion. So this is the practice of uh, samadhi concentration. And concentration samadhi can lead to emancipation, liberation of the mind, transformation of the mental formation that has been causing a lot of suffering. And after that, we have the last set of fourth about the objects of mind to learn. The noble path begins with the right view. The noble path is the fourth uh, noble truth, the path of uh, emancipation, the path of liberation, the path of happiness. And it has uh, right view as the foundation. And right view is something you get from uh, the practice of mindfulness and concentration. Right view is insight. is enlightenment and right view uh, can be obtained gradually also so concentration (coughs) 
is the practice of uh, samadhi. It is the object of uh, the element uh, exercise of mindful breathing. And uh, we know that uh, mindfulness is basic practice and mindfulness always uh, develop concentration in order to help us arrive at right view. We get a breakthrough. In, in the logo you see behind there is a mindfulness, concentration and insight. And insight is the right view. And right view has is the kind of foundation uh, that can that can give uh, rise to right thinking. Right thinking. And also right speech. And right action. This is a bodily, physical action. Then after right action, you have a right livelihood. And uh, also right diligence. And this morning, we have already learned about uh, right diligence. It is one of the eight factors, elements of the path. When I was a young monk studying in the Buddhist Institute, I believe that uh, it takes a long time in order to get insight. You practice mindfulness and concentration for a long time before you can get insight. But that is not true. Because there are insights that can come right away. For instance, when you practice mindfulness of breathing, you get insight that you are alive, that life, to be alive is a wonder, is a miracle. Uh, breathing in, I'm aware that I have a body. That is always an insight. Breathing in, there is tension in my body. That is insight. With that insight, you know what to do and what not to do in order to improve the situation. So insight is something that can come right away. You don't need to practice eight years or 20 years in order to have some insight. And small insight can, uh, can, can help a big insight to come. The other day we spoke about interbeing. You cannot be by yourself alone. You have to interbe with everything else. And that is true with uh, a flower. A flower cannot be by herself alone. She has to interbe with the sunshine, the cloud, and so on. 
The left cannot be bisexual. The left has to interbe with the right. And then the, everything is like that. The subject and the object. We believe that the object of our mind can be by itself. Whether our consciousness is there or not there, nature exists by itself. The cosmos, nature, the galaxies, the black hole, they exist by themselves. And that is not correct. Because uh, in the Buddhist tradition, the cosmos, nature, the galaxies are objects of our mind. And objects cannot by, be by themselves alone. They have to be with the subject. So uh, many scientists still believe that there is uh, our mind, our consciousness, uh, subjective in here and reaching out in order to understand, to grasp reality outside. And that is a dualistic view of reality. And many of the scientists have discovered that you cannot be an outside observer anymore. In order to begin to understand, you should become a participant and not an observer. Because the reality is, is, cannot be something that can be by itself alone. So object and subject, they inter-are. They cannot be object without subject, and so on. According to the school of thought, uh, phenomenology, our consciousness is always consciousness of something. There cannot be consciousness by itself. To be, ang to, to be angry is always to be angry at someone or something. You cannot be angry uh, without an object. And uh, all the mental formations have their objects. You cannot take the object out of the subject. So interbeing can be described as uh, right view. This is because that is. And one day, uh, the Venerable Katyayana came and asked Buddha this question. Dear teacher, you often speak about right view. What is right view exactly? There have been many de de definitions. But that day, the Buddha gave a very short answer. He said, right view is the kind of insight that transcends the notion of being and non-being. And we need uh, to train ourselves to meditate in order to, uh, to get that kind of insight. Because uh, being and non-being are concepts that cannot be applied to reality. Uh, reality cannot be described in terms of being and non-being. And the notion of interbeing can be helpful.
because you know already that you cannot be by yourself alone. You have to intervene. And if you, if you can see the truth of interbeing, you transcend the notion of being and non-being. And let us do a small exercise. <clears throat> Let us visualize uh, time as uh, a segment going far from left to right. And this is the direction of the past. This is direction of the future. And uh, at some point called uh, B, we think we are born. We have a birth certificate. And our thinking is that uh, the segment ending with B represents non-being. We did not exist. I did not exist before B. Non-being. I begin to exist only starting from point B, B. And I continue to exist until I arrive at a point called D. <laughs> and when I come to that point, I pass from the realm of being into the realm of non-being also. And that is the way we used to think about birth and death, being and non-being. We did not exist before point B. We only exist from point B to point D, and from point D on, we no longer exist. So these uh, notions of birth and death being and non-being, they go together. And thinking like that, according to the Buddha, is not right thinking. It's wrong thinking. Right view is the kind of insight that transcends not only the notion of being and non-being, but also the notion of birth and death. Uh, let us uh, meditate on an object called uh, cloud. Let us ask ourselves whether cloud, the cloud has a birthday. And you can ask the question, my dear, my dear cloud, have you come from the realm of non-being? And the class said, no, no, I have not come from the realm of non-being. It's impossible that you, from nothing you can become something. That from no one you can become someone. No, it's impossible. Before I manifest myself as a cloud, I had been 
the water in the ocean, and the lake, water vapor, uh, the heat of the sunshine. So this is only ma a new man manifestation. And we know that the cloud is red. So, so birth is only a new manifestation, taking a new form of manifestation. The cloud has not come from the realm of non-being. That is why we cannot, the cloud did not exist before uh, she expressed herself as a cloud. The nature of the cloud, the true nature of the cloud is the no nature of no birth. No birth. And then we can ask the cloud whether she can die or not. And the cloud can tell us that the cloud can never die. Because to die means from something you become nothing. And a cloud cannot, can never become a nothing. A cloud can become a snow or ice or hell, but not nothing. So the true nature of the cloud is the nature of no death, no birth and no death. Birth and death cannot affect the cloud. And the same thing is true with all of us, with our beloved one. Your beloved one cannot die. She just stops her manifestation in order to manifest otherwise. Uh, the, the, the cloud can continue in the form of the rain. It cannot die. And the rain can continue in the form of a river or a, a cup of tea. So there is no birth, there is no death. And uh, in the Heart Sutra, it is stated very clearly there is no production, no destruction, no birth and no death. So right view is uh, the insight that transcends both birth and death, the notion of birth and death, the notion of being and non-being. And when you look deeply into a rose or a sheet of paper, you, you see the nature of interbeing. Nothing can be. Being is impossible. Interbeing is possible. Being by yourself alone is impossible. And uh, the French uh, scientist uh, Lavoisier, he said, uh, nothing is born, nothing dies. He was not a Buddhist. He just looked at uh, energy and matter and found out that uh, the nature of energy and matter is the nature of no birth and no death. Rien ne se crée, rien ne se perd. Tout se transforme. Nothing dies, nothing is born. Everything is changing. And the first law of uh, thermodynamics tells us that you cannot create matter. You cannot destroy matter. 
you can only transfer matter into another kind of matter. You can transfer matter into energy, energy to another kind of energy, energy back to matter. But you cannot invent, create matter and energy, and you cannot destroy matter and energy. So according to this first law of thermodynamics, the nature of everything is no birth and no death. And if you are looking for a beginning of the cosmos, you violate that law. You are thinking of birth, the birth of the cosmos. If you think that the cosmos has a beginning, has birth, then you have to accept that there will be a day when the cosmos will die. The Big Bang has to come to the Big Crunch. So with uh, deep uh, meditation, you can remove uh, the notion of uh, birth and death, being and non-being, and then you are free from fear, you are free from discrimination. And every thought that you produce will be right thinking. And right thinking is full of understanding and compassion. And as soon as you produce such a thought, full of compassion and understanding, it begins to heal you and heal the world. And a good practitioner can produce many thoughts like that during the day for her own healing and for the healing of the world. You just practice right thinking and you can heal. Right thinking does not uh, carry within itself the, the, the element of fear, anger, despair because you have transcended notions like uh, birth and death, being and non-being. There are theologians who describe God in terms of being. Like uh, Paul Tillich, he said that God is the ground of being. So he's still caught in the notion of being and non-being. Because if, is, if God is the ground of being, and who will be the ground of non-being? So God is the ultimate. You cannot describe the ultimate in terms of being and non-being. And the notion, the insight of interbeing help you with right view, with the absence of discrimination and fear and anger. And then what you say will be race speech full of understanding and love. And it can heal you. It can heal the other person. What you write down or what you say in the telephone is full of understanding and compassion. And when you say things like that, you heal yourself. And you heal him, you heal her. The healing uh, is made with uh, loving speech, right speech. And right action is the kind of action uh, that is done by your body. If you have right view and then 
the action taken by you will be for the sake of uh, saving, supporting, uh, 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 encouraging, protecting other living beings and the planet. And uh, these are products of our five skandhas. We are not the five skandhas. We are not form, feelings, mental formation, perceptions, mental formations, and consciousness. We are our action. Because with the five skandhas, with the five elements, we produce. We produce thought, speech, and action every day, and it is the fruit of our action. And in Buddhism, uh, action is called a karma. Triple karma. When you when you think that is an action already. When you say something, that is action. And when you do something with your body, that is action. And when and these actions continue. Always, nothing is lost. Nothing can die. So the thoughts that you have produced, the word that you have spoken, the action you have done, they, they are your continuation. Always. And if you con you do not continue as a cloud, you continue as a, the rain. And if you do not continue as the rain, you continue as a river. You always continue. You cannot die. So when the five aggregate uh, um, disintegrate, you do not die. You continue always with your action. And if your actions are done beautifully, and then your continuation will be beautiful. You can assure a good, a beautiful continuation by producing thoughts, speech, and action in the line of right thinking, right speech, and right action. It's impossible for someone to die. Not only for a cloud, but uh, a human being also. What happens if uh, yesterday I produce a thought that is not uh, a thought of compassion and understanding? It is my continuation. Maybe yesterday or the day before yesterday you produce a thought of uh, anger or hate. And that is your continuation. What should we do in order to correct that? The answer is that in the present moment, 
with mindfulness and insight, you can produce another thought, a thought of the opposite nature, a thought full of compassion, understanding. And right now, right here, you can produce such a thought. That thought can neutralize the thought of yesterday and or before yesterday. Because if we know how to handle the present moment, we can correct the past and we can assure a good future. We have sovereignty even over the past and over the future. That is why we should stay in the present moment. It is in the present moment that we can produce good thoughts, good speech, and good action that can change everything. Today, the sunshine, please uh, bring something uh, to sit on during walking meditation. Thank you.